I think folks might not know this, but it's almost four or five years since we launched Access JD, and almost close to eight billion Access JD has been transacted on chain, right? And these are data that you can see publicly. You can't hide it, nor can you actually mask it up. These are real transactions that people have to start using this. It's beyond our, our thought initially. Is how how this has come along, right? And more importantly, it gives us the confidence that this is going to be a regulated industry. This is going to be something that is the right step in the direction at the payment infrastructure for this part of the world and potentially the future itself, right? And beyond the sing dollars, the licenses also means to say that we are not just talking about sing dollar stablecoin or rupiah stablecoin, which is XIDR, which launched about two years ago. We are able now to be able to issue G10 currency stablecoin out of Singapore with this new license regime, and XUSD, which is what we're going to be focusing our efforts on in the coming years. We think we can actually do something that is going to be even more mainstream, and that's what we're discussing with Alipay and Grab and and, and and Group, right? Hopefully, that's the next generation of solution that we want to support them specifically in cross-border payment. We want to be able to enable Grab or Alipay, uh, Alipay and Alipay Plus users. When it comes to Singapore, simply scan a SGQR code, scan a, a Grab QR, and just make payment. Right? And, and to them, no blockchain is involved. What is PBM? None of that happens. All they need to know is they scan a QR code, enter the same dollar value that the cashier tells them to answer, they make payment. But at the back end of it, this is where the blockchain and the settlement side can really comes in, right? We can think about how to make this purpose-bound money more more purposeful and compliant by design that it can only be used to make for goods and services. So the AML risk, the compliant risk can be ring fenced and properly controlled. And then the settlement will be able to be instantaneous. And then the accessibility of the blockchain that we have been promised about, everyone keep talking about it, can then be actually happening at the micro transaction level. And that's what we're hoping to get this done this year itself. There's so many things you can do, but in that order, right? It must be effort to be able to uh, increase their acceptance, make sure that it's as seamless as possible without drop-off rate. Then you go into our cost. Can I make sure my cost is as low as possible, especially for cross-border, which is definitely a lot of area to be solved. Then the innovation, which is pre-game for a lot of guys to come in. Hi, folks! Welcome back to On Call with Insignia, where we go on call with leaders innovating the future of Southeast Asia's digital economy, or as we like to call it, ASEAN innovation. I'm your host, Paulo Kinya. And welcome back to uh, season six of the show. Um, if you're tuning in, uh, this should be the third episode of a new year of conversations with founders and leaders. For those who have been longtime listeners, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you to continue having your support for the coming episodes. We definitely have a jam-packed lineup of guests coming out, but for this episode, we have a returning guest actually. For longtime listeners, you probably remember the, the person here in the video with me. He's none other than Tianwei Liu. He's the deputy group CEO of Faz, a regional fintech that's focusing a lot on developing fintech infrastructure, also doing a lot for rural Indonesia as well, with one of the largest agent networks providing financial services there in rural Indonesia as well. So from our last conversation with Faz, it was actually with Tianwei also back in 2021 or 2022. <laughs> so, so it's been a while. We At that time, we did talk a lot about the merger between the partnering together between Xfers and, and PayFaz into Faz Group. We also talked about blockchain, a lot of the excitement around that at the time. And I think for Faz, that has definitely been a continued initiative. And we'll talk a little bit more about the more recent news. And I think it'll be it's a definitely a good time to really showcase a lot of catch up and then showcase a lot of what Faz and particularly StraightX has been up to recently. So before I get into the news, I just wanted to check in with Kenway. Uh, how are you doing? It's been a while. 
Hey, hi everyone. My name is Chen Wei, and thank you, Paolo and Singer, for having me here again today. It's been quite a while. It's been I didn't know it's almost been two years since we <laughs> last chatted. And congratulations, season six already. Wow, quite a bit of things have been happening. I think sometimes time flies, and we just really get very busy. Thank you for having me back again here as the start of a new year. We're excited, and there's a lot more things to do this year as well. Yeah, we definitely had the pleasure of really documenting Chris's journey from the very beginning. I think you can pretty much write a whole, I don't know, biography of Faz at this point. But, but the story is far oh. from over, right? Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of war, war story to talk about one day. But yeah, day, yeah. just document it first. Yeah. Exactly. And, and speaking of stories, I think the latest chapter has been, you know, recently in SFF Singapore FinTech Festival, Ravi Menon, MD for MAS, announced among other things that StreetX is one of those that have received in principle approval. For the issuance of two digital currencies, XSGD and XUSD, under the MAS's new regulatory framework around stablecoins, this has been covered on the news a lot. But I wanted to take this opportunity to actually ask you, Tianwei, what does this mean for? What are the implications? First, for StreetX and Enfin as a as a fintech group. Yeah, we're deeply honored. I think this is one of the major milestones that we have been working very hard on. The stablecoin project, our entire state, StreetX. Started as a side project, a passion project for a lot of us, and at SaaS, it was about almost four years. Maybe people don't really know. We started Project StreetX maybe sometime in 2019 itself. StreetX have always been just part of Xverse, which is the original company that merged into Fast, which I was founded, and it's always part of Fast. It's just a product line that we decided to call it StreetX because we want to clearly differentiate some of the offering to our client itself. And from that to this day. Very honored to be among the first to be acknowledged by MAS to comply with the upcoming stablecoin regulation. I think it's a huge shout out and milestone and achievement to the team and everyone that has been involved. Right, it has been a great relationship that we have with the regulators with MAS, working every step of the way. Right, because I actually remember the days in 2019 that I I first you know reach out to the MAS folks and tell them that we we have a need for stablecoin and we we think that this is an industry that's interesting. We have passion about it. We want to build it. And I still have that that coffee conversation that they're like, that's where I really give kudos to regulators in Singapore. And yeah, to be very frank, we do not understand enough of this infant field, which no one should be able to say. Even today, if anyone tell you they're experts, and I never want to say that I'm an expert, I'm just a student of this whole thing. We're really at the bleeding edge here, and and they are first to admit that they don't understand enough, but they were giving the honor to have them to give us a trust that they allow us to proceed. Then, based on our existing license regime of e-money, right? Because we have an e-money license under FAST in in Singapore to experts. And that's how we launched the stablecoin project in 2019. From that on, with multiple iteration, to get into this stage, and then there was a launch of Payment Service Act. There was a you know an MPI license given to us for you know, DPT, which is supposed to be really the, the where it is for transacting of these kind of assets. To the day that just in November day that mm. we are going to be a granted in principle approval for early compliance for the upcoming stablecoin regime framework, which we have contributed quite a bit with MAS on, right? Because it underscores the, the strong reputation and, and responsibility I always feel that MES sees in us to basically be the digital asset provider for this. And also a testation to our, our track record, right? I think folks might not know, I told you it was almost four or five years since we launched XSGD. Right. And almost close to 8 billion XSGD has been transacted on chain, right? And these are data that you can see publicly. Right. You can't hide it, nor can you actually mask it up. These are real transactions that people have to start using this. It's beyond our, our thought initially is how, how this has come along, right? And it, more importantly, it gives us the confidence that this is going to be a regulated industry. This is going to be something that in the right step in the direction as a payment infrastructure for this part of the world and potentially the future itself, right? 
And beyond the sing dollars, the, the licenses also means to say that we're not just talking about sing dollar stablecoin or rupiah stablecoin, which is XIDR, which we launched about two years ago. We are able now to be able to issue G10 currency stablecoin out of Singapore with this new license regime. And XUSD, which is what we're going to be focusing our efforts on in the coming years, we'll be launching soon under the same regime, which is super exciting for us as a company to be able to do more. And I think one, one key takeaway from this whole story is that, especially for those who are not as familiar with Faz's story and Straight X's story, this didn't really just come out of the blue. Uh, I really appreciate how you just lined up that whole, all those different licenses and regulatory milestones that you achieved prior to actually even getting this IPA and how, because it's still an IPA for an upcoming framework, there's still a lot more work to be done, as you mentioned. But that leads me into the next question on the implications, right? So what does this now mean for the region? Obviously, it could be too, still too early to say, but like, how has this fired up the team and fired you up for what's ahead? I think it's just the first huge step you know, on this itself is the recognition of being a, a fully regulated, transparent, and trusted stablecoin issuer out of thankful, right? I, I think that, that, that we have been working on this journey for the last four, five, six years, right? Yeah. And, and, and uh, the, you can see how the industry sediments have changed, right? But the next big step, which is just done with some of the things that MAS announced, is that these are things that, you know, industrial forerunner, ideas guys, and people like me just say, but getting MAS such a reputable regulatory uh, agency to actually put their stamp on this, say that they also see the same uh, future in the use cases of this is definitely great for the industry as a whole, right? And, and Singapore being a beacon, at least in this part of the world, from a regulation perspective, helps to drive and makes more regulators take a more interesting look at this. And with this, it means to say the banks, a major financial institution, will be able to then have their compliance framework take on this in a much more acceptable way, right? Because you know, they, they being a lot of time, it's not that I, I've been running a lot of banks and now they've become great friends over the years is that it's not that they are not supporting innovation. Regulation must catch up because they are ultimately prudent of custody of the funds of their clients. They have to do things a compliance way. We are at the forefront. We can't do illegal stuff as well, but they have a lower risk appetite compared to us in terms of the ability to innovate on those some things. And that's where a regulation that is very clear that this is going to be something that's going to be more mainstream will help potentially be the catalyst that will push this thing over to the next tipping point where, where more adoption can happen, right? It brings about the credibility that using this kind of medium to facilitate innovation in payment is the way that regulators around the world should be looking at this both domestically and especially from cross-border payment. And then it allows service providers like us and other players to be able to confidently say that what they are doing is regulated and they are doing this according to the, the standards needed both on the AML control side of this thing nor on, on the custody and the way that they safeguard the users' funds. Before, before that, it took a while, while less and it's self-regulated. At least now, there is a very clear regime that we can point to at, at, on, from a reputable uh, um, financial agency or that is regulating this to tell you that, hey, this is the best practice and this is the expectation. And if you actually stick to this and actually get the licenses itself, this is what it means, right? I, I think I had some conversation with MES when early days that what they were looking on is to basically put on the gold sticker to mm. tell people that this is what they envision a good regulated stablecoin will be used for payment in the future itself. They want to give that stamp of approval to let everyone else know the differentiation. Because even in this world, I know stablecoin, the market cap is 130 billion as of yet. There are many stablecoin issues out there, right? And everybody will tell you that they're compliance. Everybody will tell you they're going to be safe. They're great, everything, right? 
what they're hoping to actually achieve in some of this Python thing is really just give you a gold sticker and let, let the consumer and let the financial institution know that this is going to be the run recognized so that you can, again, you have to practice your own risk assessment still, right? But at least this is more or less told you that there's certain bar that has been achieved by using certain products. Yeah, I think really setting the bar and really setting the standards is important. Obviously, I think sometimes it can be hard to understand from a short-term perspective, but really looking at it long-term, regulation does need to come in and does have to catch up at, at some point. And it's good to see that momentum happening for especially for StraightX. I wanted for you to also maybe paint a picture for us what this means for the merchants that you guys work with. You earlier mentioned that 8 billion transactions already since 2021 with XSGD. Maybe you can paint a picture of what this means on the ground for customers and maybe lead in also to the next topic of our conversation, which is some of the collaboration that you're doing with Ant Group and Grab and supporting cross-border payments with XSGD. I think I probably shared this publicly a few times. Maybe just really rewind things, things back a bit. I think when we started this project in 2019 itself, there, there was a, a few things that we had, a few theses that we have, right? First and foremost, a lot of us here are big believers. We, we think that we're engineers, technologies are hard. We're trying to adhere to solve problems. And we see that the blockchain solution does have a merit. And there are things that can be done that traditional um, centralized system cannot do. And that's why we have been very focused on telling people we are interested in the application side of this thing. Stablecoin, okay, for the folks that doesn't know, I want to repeat again, stablecoin is stable. There's no speculative nature. You cannot buy this thing and hope that you're 10x. It doesn't work like that. So there's none of that. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, if you want to support this for sure, but you can't expect this to 10x over the next year unless they're single 10x, right? So that, that, that is a bit different, but the use cases here is more towards real world application what problem can it solve that traditional centralized solution cannot do? And when we put on that hat itself, then we need to really start to compare and think about what is the trade-off here, right? Nothing comes for free, right? If you want centralization, I'm an engineer at heart. I always help most of the guys, right? Centralization has been around for the last, I don't know how long. <laughs> and most of the solution that we are used to doing, right? And you, you can't tell you that it doesn't work. It works very well. It works very efficiently, right? And if you are willing to give up on that and say you want to be decentralized, there are benefits, right? People participating, redundancy is higher, you don't have to trust anyone, but there's a trade-off. Trade-off is that it's going to be a lot more expensive to run and maintain, and then infrastructure is going to be expensive. There's a hurdle to overcome, right? Then we need to then focus on what are you trying to solve here, right? What does it, the benefit that it actually brings in, right? And if you look at the, how stablecoin has evolved over the last five, six years, our initial thesis when we first started that why we want to do this is that we saw that, that the potential around the programmability, the, the distributed nature of things and innovation can happen at a micro level. But we think that we have some of the element for success. First and foremost, we think that we have ability to make this regulated. Mm -hmm. Because we are by then an NPR license holder. We have e-money license. We have run regulated business before. We think that we have potentially ability to make sure that at a, first and foremost, this is not going to be illegal. We will not be shut down overnight. And I, I've been telling that to guys that that's super important for us, right? Compliance is always on the first one everyone's thought. Are we doing these things the proper way, right? So the next thing, however, that we think that we will be successful is because of the payment infrastructure that we have gained over the last almost 10 years now that we have built up from the ground up. Payment infrastructure to accept payment from the bank, VA solution, bank transfer capability. And to be honest, we didn't know that the importance of that over the time, actually, that is actually even more important than the first one. The first is being just compliance and regular compliance, right? Because the actual fact is, it's actually pretty... A lot of companies will tell you they are regulators and they are, they are compliance, 
But that does not immediately translate to banking relationship. It doesn't mean to say that, hey, I can form a trust company and launch a stablecoin and then expect that I'm going to get all the bank accounts to get all the rails and payment gateway that you have or integrate with all the partners that you have. Right. That's a huge yeah. gap in between the, the two of them, right? So because we have those things, we being a payment company was a key reason why we think that this thesis would work. But then the third piece of this thing that our initial thought is ecosystem, right? You need an ecosystem to really make this thing, right? You have the solution, your compliance, who's going to use this thing, right? Our initial thought is that the, the web tree, the blockchain space, you know, we serve that time early days as a payment gateway for a lot of these exchanges and fintech companies, right? and they probably want to use them, right? Which we were right. And you know, that's how actually the initial scale of XSGD actually came from, right? We have a lot of adoption from our, our web tree clients. They were wanting to use this thing for a lot of innovation that we're dealing with. But I think we very soon over the last few years realized one thing, which is, yes, this is a definitely a high growth uh, segment of the economy. Things are moving. I'm very excited about what can happen over there. But at the same time, it's not mainstream enough, right? But the size of the market is looking at blockchain web free companies is not big enough. It is huge right now. It's already been like, I, I think it's almost a few trillion dollar market, but like it, it is not huge enough to really get to the mainstream. We really need to think about how to get this back to a, a consumer like my mom and dad to actually use this thing, which is some of the things I was talking about, right? The vision here is that we are focusing on this, making sure that the whole entire technology disappear here behind the scene. Mm -hmm. The customers, they should be just taking out their phone and just click on a button and it works. Payments should work as payments, right? You just really just want to pay for that bill. You're not going to be asking the guy that I can use a crypto and all this thing. It's just way too convenient. That will work for a certain portion of people. I, I believe 90% of most of the people just want to scan and pay and get out of the restaurant or whatever place they're at, right? right. And that's been the primary focus and that's where things have been evolving over the last two, three years and we're very excited to talk about some of the things we're looking with Andrew, with Grab. The folks that I started last year, Grab made a major announcement that they are launching a Web3 wallet. I hope you have tried it out. That's working very closely with us, right? We, we're very honored to be able to partner with Grab on this thing as well. They actually spend a lot of time thinking about the user experience, right? building up a so-called Web3 capability wallet within the Grab app so that a normal retail consumer that has a Grab and uses Grab can easily get access to Web3. Right? They can create a, a non-custody wallet. For the folks that actually don't know, the, the Web3 wallet inside Grab is actually non-custody, but the technology just disappeared. Right? People don't even know that. They just basically click, answer a few questions. They have a Web3 wallet that can interact directly with the blockchain. Right? You can send in NFT, which in the first iteration of it, we have uh, worked with them on the purpose-bound money that allows people to have digital sing dollar voucher backed by XHD, which is a stable coin. Mm -hmm. And that's the only assets that you can now hold on a Web3 wallet. And we use it to showcase a, a voucher-based payment system, which uh, follow on for the first year trial. Last year trial has made, made cover about 200 merchants. You can buy these vouchers on Faith, hold it and actually send it to a friend and actually make purchases of over 200 participating outlets. My favorite is Koi Bubble Tea. You can still do that today. You can use it to buy a, a physical merchant product. And the experience, of course, is still not as streamlined as we wanted it to be. But I am idea here is to the merchant, this is just grab pay. They don't even understand anything about blockchain yeah, or anything. Any other e-wallet. E yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, somebody just trying to use grab to make payment, fine. And the teller instantaneously gives the feedback that, hey, $10 received, just give them the, the bubble tea that they wanted. So that itself is the a taste of the direction that we're heading in. And happy to share that it, it has pretty good uh, reception across the merchants and also the tech side is finally catching up. We think we can actually do something that is going to be even more mainstream. And that's what we're discussing with Alipay and, and Grab and, 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 and Group, right? Hopefully that's the next generation of solution that we want to support them specifically in cross-border payment. We want to be able to enable Grab or Alipay, 
uh, Alipay and Alipay Plus uh, users. When they come to Singapore, simply scan a SGQR code, scan a, a Grab QR, and just make payment. Right? And, and to them, no blockchain is involved. What is PBM? None of that happens. All they need to know is they scan a QR code, enter the same dollar value that the cashier tell them to answer, they make payment. But at the back end of it, this is where the blockchain and the settlement side can really comes in, right? We can think about how to make this purpose-bound money, more, more purposeful and compliant by design that it can only be used to make for good and services. So the AML risk, the compliant risk can be ring-fenced and properly controlled. And then the settlement will be able to be instantaneous. And then the affectability of the blockchain that we have been promised about, everyone keep talking about it, can then be actually happening at the micro-transaction level. And that's what we're hoping to get this done this year itself. Mm. Yeah, and I think really that atomic settlement, which has been, a, I think, one of the five sort of visions or goals of, of MAS as well for a long time now, is actually in the process of being done through this. And I think looking at it from a consumer side, as you mentioned, nothing should really be different. But at the same time, from the merchant side, with settlement especially and FX, as you mentioned, uh, that is where a lot of the, the, the stark difference can be seen compared to, say, if you use, say, non-blockchain technologies. And, and I think that's key. I, I think the whole idea here, if we were successful, neither the merchant or the consumer will know anything about blockchain. Mm. That is actually the true end goal here. They just need to know that suddenly it's faster. They, they, and accessibility. I think the main problem is also accessibility, right? The Alipay user right now can just make payment at, at Grab Merchant and they scan and they pay and they're happy with the living of the goods. To the merchant, they don't have to onboard a new uh, acquirer, right? They don't have to say, oh, I need to sign up with Alipay. Or, no, this, I just put GrabPay. Somebody's making GrabPay to me, I'm going. I think that's the essence of it. And then with all the technology, the FX, the, the speedy settlements, all baked to the back-end innovation side of this thing is what we're truly trying to achieve. We will be successful and we'll be celebrating if no one knows that it's using blockchain or crypto or, or XFCD, they all they need to know, I'm scanning, I'm making payment, I move on with my life. And then that's the angle here. I was curious to know how, what was the implication also for integrations as well, right? Especially now with a lot more e-commerce platforms or marketplaces wanting to integrate financial services into their, or even SaaS platforms as well, integrating financial services into their stack, right? What is the picture that you see for that and, and in terms of what you guys are doing with XSPD and StraightX? I, th I think from a commerce perspective, payment is a basic fundamental need, right? And if you are a, a commerce or a marketplace or e-commerce online, you want to have something that's as seamless and as easy for your customers as possible. And for the local, when I first started the whole payment stuff, I think we are still looking at that right now, which is shopping cart abandonment, right? It's a big metric that everyone looks at, right? If the customers can't make the payment, they're about to buy something, they're frustrated with the payment, you lost all your so-called CAC, right? <laughs> you want them to be able to clear. So that is always the top line is also more important, always more important than the cost that for most of these merchants out there, they just want a stimulus experience. They want their customers to be happy, buy the product and just move on, right? So that itself is where the last mile of this is where I was talk about, right? The merchant do not want to onboard a new system, give them something that the customers can just pay and move on. And, and that's something that we will need to first fundamentally focus our effort on solving, which I was just describing earlier on. After that, then it will come about the secondary stuff to think about. How about rewards point system, voucher point system, which is some of the stuff that we've been talking about from PBM perspective, ability to put in programmability that, hey, you, if you make this purchase, the next time we come back, this voucher automatically, we can reapply uh, for certain use cases. What if this voucher is now interoperable? You can use this voucher across multiple different platforms, right? And, that, and this voucher will just stay with you as long as you make the purchase. 
and they don't, no one have to spend too much time on the governance. The block contract will actually take care of the voucher governance by design. Those are the things that the next order of thinking will be about, right? Can I innovate around that thing? But even before that, if I really bring it out is that is the end game, right? But it start off with, can I increase the, the payment throughput, right? Can I make it sure that more people can make payment, which is some of the these things that I just mirror to you, like the Ali guys will be thinking, can I make my Alipay people be accepted at more places? But the alternative for the merchant in your case is that, can I have set more payments for my client without having, having to do any work, right? I just want my more people to make payment for me, right? So the restaurant that's supported by Grab right now that previously does not accept Alipay, oh, another new payment method, but without doing any, any work because it's still a Grab merchant, it's still a Grab pay. And I just expanded my customer payment option. So that's the first priority. The next priority that we're thinking then is the cost. Is this expensive? How much more do I have to pay for this? And if it's something that is uh, acceptable and they help me reduce my cost, great. That's something I want to use. Then you think about the final order is, okay, what kind of innovation can you now do, right? Can I get the customers to convert, come back again? Is that kind of voucher system that I can think of them that after this purchase will come back? That's how they will probably think of their, their tier ranking. And I think we are now primarily focused on the first two first, where I think that there's a lot of space to innovate for the third piece, right? With the programmable nature. And that's a great news about, I talk about decentralization as an advantage and programmability, right? This is something that a lot of startups, I think in the next generation can be created to think about innovation they can do around that space that previously there's a wall garden, right? It's all locked up. GrabPay is great. I love using it. But then if I want to do something with GrabPay, I need to be figuring out how to negotiate with them, get their API and everything. Now you can, as a startup, just innovate around that space and, and do something interesting when this infrastructure is over there. Yeah, so throughput and the cost aspects first, and then it really opens things up for the application side. You could just go on talking about all these uh, other programmable stuff. I think even like things that's yeah. complicated like insurance or all those other Oh things. yeah, invoice financing, so many areas I can do right now. Can you imagine that now you're a marketplace sellers and you have this amount of invoice and you can see the transaction coming in. I can give you a line of credit because the data is available, I can even collateralize all these things on the smart contract. There's so many things you can do, but in that order, right? It must be at first be able to uh, increase their acceptance, make sure that it's as seamless as possible without drop-off rate. Then you go into our core, can I make sure my cost is as low as possible, especially for cross-border, which is definitely a lot of areas to be solved. Then the innovation, which is free game for a lot of guys to come in. Thank you for joining us on this call. Make sure you get notified on when to dial in by following us wherever you're listening to us. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, toss in a like, and let us know if you'd like to hear more of this topic in the comments. See you all in our next call.